Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Love it or hate it, CSS is an important part of building the UI in our web applications. In this episode, we'll be discussing how to create scalable CSS architecture for large projects. Before we get started, let's go around the table and introduce the today's panelists. Mars, you want to start off? Sure. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a professional CSS wrangler at Netflix. My name is Brian Holt, and I'm the chiefly shitty stylist at Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Jem Young. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. And my name is Augustus Yoon. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. My name is Derek Showers. I'm a senior software engineer at LinkedIn. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix, and I have not been writing CSS for a while. <laughs> All right. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Styles. Styles. So anytime we say the word styles, we will all take a drink. All right, let's get started. So to start off the episode, I figured we could talk about what advice would you give to someone that's working in CSS? either new at it or just writing CSS and some advice that you would give. Don't use CSS. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't do it. But you have to. Unfortunately, you have to use CSS. Then I would say good luck. Yeah, that, I like that. So uh, like you're asking a bunch of primarily JavaScript engineers, right? CSS is an incredible thing that like you, you create these rules that do incredible things in the browser. And it's robust. You can do amazing things with like people like Sarah Drasner and uh, Chris Coyer and all these people are magicians, right? Una Kravitz, like they're they're just fantastic at CSS. I'm just really bad at it, and I hate things that I'm bad at. What makes you bad at it? I don't take the time to learn it. I guess. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I've noticed there's pretty much two types of front end engineers. There's people that care about CSS and people that do not. I am in the latter. I do not care about CSS. I do as much as I need to get done. But to me, this browser cross compatibility, all the like unique rules, some weird rendering bug in Firefox that'll ruin your day. Like I, it was just too much for me. I'll stick in JavaScript land where I'm just better at it. I actually don't mind it. I, I think I've started to hate it more and more over the years, but usually like I was always like, yes, need to have a very well-structured CSS file or my project need to be well-structured. I think that's really good advice, though, is like really planning the architecture can help save you some headaches down the line and avoid nesting. That, that's a big one for me. <laughs> or at least heavy nesting. I, I think the rule of three is fine, but if you go heavy on it, it, it can kill you in the long run. If I had advice to say in the beginning, I would say don't build some awesome, beautiful project that you have this grand design and you have these awesome mocks for it and not test it in multiple browsers because that will ruin your day. So I've should, done that numerous you test times. often before you get too deep into it. Yeah, yeah. I, that has hit me many times. I'm like Chrome, it looks awesome, and you know it doesn't work in Safari. And I just say like, why doesn't the world just use Chrome? Ah, screw those jerks. But no, that's not me. I should have tested before I got close to shipping. Another one I hate is people using IDs. It's a big pet peeve of mine. Use IDs, that's fine in your HTML, but don't style them. Do not reference them. It's such a pain in the ass later on. That's a good one. I think um, one of the things I would say is, especially when using SAS and less, I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but just kind of understanding what, you don't have to understand everything about what's going on, but I think there's definitely value in understanding how that gets compiled to CSS because I think that's where you can run into a lot of performance issues and have massive CSS, compiled CSS style sheets and the level of selectors that you're, you're using that you don't think about when you're writing something because you're trying to write something that's clean, but then it compiles into something that's 
uh, really shitty. It kind of goes to even what we were talking about on the transpiling episode is that be aware of what's being transpiled, like what the code actually looks like after yeah, the fact. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because one of the things that I did when I started writing Assassin Less was I would nest compulsively because I love to organize things. I like to know exactly where in my files to look, but then as you start to use it, you realize more and more that it's a huge performance hit to like rendering and painting in the browser. And I think maybe that's where one thing I would say to new CSS writers is just be aware that there is a performance aspect to CSS. It's not just about being pretty or well-organized or anything like that, but it, it will affect the way your page renders down the road. And that's why you have to be mindful of the nesting, the IDs and the types of selectors that you use. I, I challenge that notion a little bit. I've personally, like I've written crazy stupid selectors and for the most part, CSS performance has never been a sticking point for me. It's always been, I've had too many images, I've had crappy JavaScript, I've had long running JavaScript functions or anything like that. But like throwing in a universal se selector, um, even on pages with thousands of elements, it's not slowed it down. Like br browsers these days, for the most part, CSS isn't, I, I don't believe is going to be your bottleneck. At LinkedIn, we're, we're rebuilding our entire site, our desktop site. And part of it is the fact that we have a massive CSS file that's like 3.5 megabytes. Oh, <laughs> holy um, shit. So that's that's one thing that we're trying to figure out is how we kind of lazy load that and, and break that up. But uh, one of the other problems is just the amount of selectors that were being used. Slowed the page. I don't have the exact statistics on numbers, but it was it was a decent amount, enough that we're rewriting our entire CSS in BEM style so that we have less selectors. Um, but it was a, it was a definitely a, a something that we that had to spend a lot of time on rearchitecting. Can you explain what uh, BEM is? <laughs> sort of. So I, it's it's basically I think it's just uh, more or less just a way of titling your class names so that instead of using like selectors, you're kind of Still, it's still kind of the same when you're writing your SAS, but it's you're using underscores and and dashes to kind of like to mock using selectors. I don't know if anyone can explain it better, yeah. but yeah, it's like more of like a paradigm, more fit for like how we're doing more components. So like styling components. So like all your classes are like kind of targeting certain components rather than like generic pages of styling. Well, it stands for block element modifier, right? Yeah. And so the basic idea is instead of having like three different selectors that you say, you say like this is inside of the navigation, which is inside of the men, the drop down, which is inside of this, instead of having three different selectors for that, you have one selector, right? And then you have different class entirely for the is active, is not active, right? Like there's, it's just a paradigm for naming your classes. So you have less selectors and you have these really long, ugly looking class names. Oh, I was just gonna add to that is I hate them. They're so ugly, but I mean, I get it, but well, yeah, and you use underscores or dashes to break them up, and yeah, it looks ugly in the code. I just it it's bothers really me, ugly. but I, I've seen it done really, really well. I think if companies are on board and you have everyone on board writing that, I think it can be really powerful. But I think the areas that I've struggled with is I've seen people do it sometimes in a company, and there'll be like one or two engineers doing that, the rest of the team's not doing it, and so I feel like if the whole entire team's not on board on it then it it's kind of a it waste falls apart. yeah it kind of falls apart at that point i think that's a that's a good point you made first earlier point uh i'm with mars performance is absolute they're knowing what will offload something to the gpu especially animations and what won't is crucial to making like a good 60 frame per second page but BEM and any other sort of kind of way you want to name your CSS, it doesn't matter unless the whole team is consistent. Otherwise, yeah, I've seen the same thing. And it's just, you get like this hodgepodge of naming conventions and then some things are in line perfectly, some things aren't. 
It, yeah, just use the same convention across the whole file. It doesn't matter what you use. I like the naming convention, either BAM or even just sometimes what I appreciate is people using deciding, do you split up words by camel case or do you do it by dashes or underscore? I do really like the consistency. It drives me nuts when all all different across the project. <laughs> I am very anal about those types of things. And, and I know that's hard, but I think at the end of the day, your team has to buy into it. If, if no one else buys into it, then... It's you're just trying to fight something that no one really cares about. Yeah. And another thing that, that can help with that is I know we use it uh, is like a linting tool for if you're using SAS or less. Uh, I don't know about less, but I assume there's something. Um, I don't know how detailed it can get. I don't know. If it can you can actually go pretty detailed. Yeah. On what you're calling your selectors and everything. There's so you a can... BEM linter specifically for oh, BEM. Shit. That's yeah. pretty cool. That would be helpful. So at least at that point, if your team buys into it and everyone's on board, you can have a linter running and then to at least check that. Does anyone here actively use BEM? I'm just curious. I, I We don't. I used to my personal projects, but oh, okay. then I just kind of stop giving a shit. <laughs> hey, you were the only engineer on it, so that's probably helpful. Yep. When it comes to like styling conventions and all these different things, and like these people taking highly engineered approaches to it, like my theory has always been write CSS to throw it away, which like offends a lot of people, so, and probably rightfully so, but... Um, <laughs> You're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> you walked in the wrong door. <laughs> No, but I say that in the sense of just take what we're doing at Netflix. We write lots of A-B tests, lots of them fail, lots of features never make it. So if you can write CSS that's easy to cut out and just throw away so you don't have this great amount of bloat, that has always been my biggest problem at in almost every code base is there's been so much dead CSS or partially dead CSS or things that like were cascaded like four levels deep before it was able to actually apply the right style. Like if you can actually actively cut out the pieces of code that are no longer in use, you're going to be in a lot better position than if you used, I don't know, if if these kind of more secondary needs, in my opinion. One thing that, that we do on my team that, that helps with that is, I mean, it depends on what framework you're using, but most frameworks have the, the concept of components. So if you keep your CSS and your components kind of the same structure, um, that's what we do, and that helps because then if you remove a component, you just remove the associated, you know, CSS. That's awesome. I think even naming them the same is yeah, very helpful. Exactly. This CSS goes along with this component, and yeah, you're right. So if you're running an A/B test and you're like, all right, we no longer need this component anymore, just delete the same file at the same point. You can have like a CLI tool that does that for you, which so you're at least get covering your bases, deleting something that you no longer need. No longer need to style. No longer need that style. Cheers. 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 I think we said style more than I once think, before. Yeah, this. Brian said style and no one said anything. <laughs> so just throw this out. People have used React. What do you think about inline styles? I, I will say I've, I still don't know if I fully warmed up to, at it. I think there's some benefits to doing it, but... Oh, right. did, we, did we miss yeah. one? Yeah. 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 Inline. There should be a penalty. Very, yeah. penalty. <laughs> I haven't fully warmed up to it, but at the same time, I remember not really liking JSX when I first started writing React. So I feel like once I start doing it more and more, I think it will get better and I should just be okay with it. I like the idea that everything's coupled together in one component. So writing inline styles in React, I think is probably a good idea. So I think there's like things like Aphrodite that kind of encourage using like inline styles or something. I remember when React first came out, I feel like a lot of other people were this way when they saw that slide. There's like this one slide where the guy shows a React component and there's all these inline styles and everyone's like, ugh. I, I had the exact same reaction. I started doing more React and I think there is like a place for them and stuff, but if we can like keep those decoupled, I, I still, firmly believe that like styles like should be in one place logic. Styles! And, like, cheers! Styles. <laughs>
Cheers. I, I ultimately think they should be separate, but there could be places where it makes sense. I'm the same way. I, I go back and forth all the time on inline styles. So like let's 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 talk about the dream, right? Like at least in my opinion, the dream. The dream of the nineties? The dream of the nineties. The eighteen nineties are alive in Portland. That's an obscure Portlandian joke. I think a lot of people got it though, because we're a bunch of nerds. That's true. So the dream is that you have you have your components. It's kind of just what Derek was touching on. It's like you have your components, you have your CSS. They're married together. As soon as one is gone, it's just cut off and it's it's it falls off with the component, right? And there's a couple ways to accomplish that. You can do it with something like Radium, Aphrodite, right? Where it's actually your style is in JS. Oh. Cheers. Cheers. This is, this is going to get sloppy. Or you can do it with something like with uh, like Webpack can do your import statements for CSS. So you have like your your style. It lives in the same directory as your shit. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. We did not foresee this. Okay, so your CSS lives in the same directory as your component, right? And you can import those in using Webpack, right? Like to me, that's the dream where like you can just tightly couple your CSS to the markup that it governs and as soon as that markup goes away then the CSS goes away and so whatever tool helps me get there I don't really give a shit what it is right like to me that's what makes it worth it one of my issues that I see is happening in modern front-end world is that it's getting more complicated it's getting more complicated than it should be uh, uh, for instance I've used CSS modules which are fantastic but it really complicates up the build. Like we had some issues getting those to work on server-side rendering and getting it to spit out properly. Yeah, as Brian Hull did and Augustus and everybody nodding in the room is like, <laughs> yes, they've been there. And the point of CSS should be to simplify things because we can always do things with inline styles in the HTML if we wanted to do it old school. Cheers. CSS is too complicated. <laughs> Why is it so complicated, Jem? Thanks for asking, Ryan. <laughs> As we were talking earlier, uh, the complication with CSS modules and then trying to get that with server-side rendering, and a lot of people in the room who have worked with that, pretty much everybody is agreeing with me because it's very complicated. Then we're adding all these extra tools in there, and at its core, CSS is supposed to be really simple. It's just dead simple styling, make your page look like this one way. But we've added so much complexity on top of that, and sometimes I wish we just pull back to the way things were. Kind of old man gem here. Like, let's go back to the good old days. I actually, but I disagree as, I mean, I agree that it adds way more complexity. You have to have some sort of a build tool now if you're using a CSS preprocessor. But I think the whole reason we got something like CSS preprocessing was because CSS sucked. Like you couldn't do a lot of things. You couldn't write functions. You couldn't have a variable. There was a lot of things that you just couldn't do. And so, I think it was the right thing to do it. I realize it adds more complexity than it would just normal CSS, but I think it was the right move and to give us a little more flexibility and so we can scale our code a little bit easier. I, I disagree. <laughs> you would disagree with me I or Jim? Everybody. No, I, I agree with old man Jim. <laughs> yes. Get off my log. <laughs> like, I, I think CSS doesn't need to be that complicated. I hate SAS script. Like, I think SAS script is just a scourge on the front end developer. I think it adds weight. Like, you don't need your styling to be Turing complete, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. It's a marvel of engineering. Like, I think they do a phenomenal job, and I just don't want to use it, right? Like, I think it's it's too much. I don't need a for loop inside of my CSS. I just need to be able to write, like, okay, this needs to float to the left, and, like, let's call that good. 
I mean, there's certain things, though, that I've definitely written some mix-ins for that have saved me a lot of headaches uh, in the long run, uh, where I've been able to use a mix-in over and over and over again, and it works. Okay, and, but let, let me ask you this. Have mix-ins saved more headaches or caused more headaches for you? Uh, Don't lie to me. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm actually trying to be honest, and I think, honestly, they've probably saved headaches, and they've allowed me to scale my CSS and not have to think about some of the things that are happening. And I enjoyed writing a mix in. For me personally, having maintained a previously large SAS code base, extend and SAS script and all these features caused way more headaches. They bloated our, when we went actively and ripped out all these different pieces of our code, we cut down our bundle size. It was more than 50%, right? Like we just had so many problems. And maybe I'm just really bad at writing SAS. Also potentially true, but when Ruby's involved, don't ask Brian. Fair enough. I hated when Ruby built your SAS files. That drove me nuts. It was slow as hell. Not really a big Ruby fan anyways. But when they moved to LibSAS, that was huge. It was a lot faster. And I, I do agree. I remember being on a project that was using Ruby SAS. And it was very, very, very slow. And it was really painful. Actually, I'm kind of curious because, you know, there's post-CSS now, at which is, I guess, kind of like... You guys can still do the old, old good fashioned way, <laughs> but then like have some like of this like post processing power, like vendor prefixes and stuff. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I, I like post CSS. I think the plugin system is really powerful. It does add complexity, which, and, and it, to me, now that I'm thinking about it, it's not so much complexity, it's just separation of concerns. Like, I don't want to do any sort of a lot of conditional logic in my CSS or things like that. If I need to do that, I should just use JavaScript. That's what that's exactly what it's there for. But with the advent of like less and SAS and all the and post CSS and all these really powerful tools, it just complicates our code. And as engineers, our, our first instincts would be like, oh, I'll just write a function to hack around that. But that's not the way we should do our styling. We should do styling should be styling should be styling. Cheers. How many Cheers. times? Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Like Everybody times. was looking a little thirsty. Maybe I'm not clear on what you're saying, but I actually think that using mix-ins and and that kind of stuff simplifies your code because of what you said is it separates the area of concerns. So like you can have a team that's essentially creating like a bootstrap or a library or whatever, and then you don't have to worry about, you shouldn't have to worry about at that point, if you're using that library, you don't have to worry about necessarily testing in all browsers. Like we were saying in the beginning, like you can kind of assume that that's already been done for you. And it just saves a lot of time. And it kind of helps with people that don't really like working with CSS. You can just, you know, there's really not a lot of CSS you're writing if you're just using um, mixins. Yeah, and even at that point, too, is if something was wrong in the mix-in or, like, something was wrong in the code output, if you're using one mix-in, you can fix that mix-in and then it just retranspiles everything, which is great. I think So I think there is some value there, but I love that we're all on opposite sides of the fence. Yeah, but I've had issues with where some asshole and often some Are asshole... Are you saying I'm the asshole, Brian? <laughs> well, no, I was actually going to say future Brian is the asshole in this particular case, but also Ryan Burgess. <laughs> Please tweet at him. Where some asshole goes and modifies the mixin and he fucks up the rest of the site. He or she. We're, an, we're equal opportunity for fucking up the entire site. <laughs> so, like, I, I've had problems that way with it, too. But what if you treat it more as a framework like you would a JavaScript framework, right? Like I, I refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's just that's, that's what we do a lot of. And so the, our CSS library is is its own repo. It's, it has its own team that you can contribute to if you want to. But, you know, those people are going to review that code. And I guess it can slow things down a little bit. Um, but you can always override. So you have engineers actually owning the CSS, like, and then 
other engineers own the JavaScript and really sort like of. I mean, know you, that in ins and outs. If you're an app developer, you're still writing CSS, but you're consuming sure. this library that yeah. is a lot easier to write CSS because you're essentially just applying mixins or classes that um, you know are part of this library. Well, actually, sorry, Derek. Most of us don't work at Microsoft, so we don't have the <laughs> so we don't have the size <laughs> to support a framework team for our CSS. I'm sorry, but the, the Microsoft comments just will not get old. <laughs> I still have a couple more weeks, I think. <laughs> Derek's holding on to that one strong. I think ultimately the problem is when CSS was first invented way back when, I don't know when. I could look this up, but I'm lazy. But when CSS was invented, there was a very clear gold mine. We need a way to style elements on an HTML page where you can't do that. Okay, so invented CSS, cool. We've so far outgrown that use case that all we have is this one very archaic language way of describing like very complex interactions with the DOM and other people there's two sides there's me and Brian where we're like no we should just keep it simple and keep it as simple and then evolve around that and there's the other side Augustus and the rest of the room <laughs> <laughs> where you're saying no we should build a full-fledged thing on top of that I think we should just if it's not possible at this point but we should just have something other than CSS to describe the way we lay out and design elements on, on the internet it's just we could create something that is so much better i'm all for that if we can move away from it great let's move away from css i think that's i think preprocessors was one step towards that direction but it was not really a solution for the longer term so so let me tell you about what exists and what's coming has anyone here called heard of css houdini I have heard of it, but I forgot what it was. Oh, there are some <laughs> minds about to be melted here. Okay. So it's it's a new spec coming out. I believe Mozilla has an experimental build of it. God bless Mozilla. <laughs> and basically what it lets you do is it lets you define your own brand new CSS rules. And it lets authors define new CSS rules. That you can. The example that they, they brought up, this was at a conference I attended last year, was Display Radial. So where you had... Ooh. Oh, I've heard of this. That's actually in the spec, right? No, it's not. This is just the example that they made for CSS Houdini. Ah. Mm. So you could basically write some JavaScript rules. It's like, okay, if you see display radial, this is what the layout engine should look like. And so it basically like made a circle around instead of like you know all the other different kinds of display we had. So that's what this is. It lets you define your own rules. If it, one really picks up and it's really awesome, then the browser vendors can say, cool, this is awesome. We'll just write it into the spec. And now display radial is part of the spec, right? But it allows us, the developers, to push the envelope forward instead of just depending on you know, whatever working group to just lob cool shit at us and hope it sticks. I like that too, because it's actually pushing the bar of the spec too. Like I think that that's really important. It's like Babel, right? Like we try out cool shit with Babel. If it doesn't work, and then for us, right, then it doesn't make the JavaScript spec like object.observe, right? People thought that was going to be amazing, and it turns out it's like this is actually a really, really bad idea, and we took it out of the spec. So it's just kind of like pushing that onus onto developers. Like, hey, go out and try this, see if it's cool. If it's not cool, then we'll, we won't add it. So can't you kind of do that already with Sess? Just going back no, to Nixon's? Abso like, absolutely like, not. No, like, he, yeah, you can't. I, I see what you're saying, and, and, I'm, and I'm somewhat joking, but like you, you can create something, some sort of mix-in or whatever, right? That that allows that somebody's like, I don't know putting together or whatever, and then like every all the other developers can use it. I know it's not the same as what you're saying, but I just feel like that's the advantage of using something like Sess. Unless I kind of see what you're getting at, but you're just wrong. Okay. <laughs> 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 putting the basically the onus on someone else, right? Like, and I'm totally keen with putting the onus on someone else. You, you can ask anyone that I work with, I was like, hey, do you want to do that for me? 
No, I think that's a good idea. But I think in particular this, this keeps what we as web developers do simple, right? We just say display radial, right? And that shit just works, right? And we don't have to say like, you know, SAS extends radial class and add this class to all of my child classes, right? Like none of that just crazy horse shit. I think the part that we, hopefully we all agree as developers is CSS is, it works. It's not great, but it works. But the part that gets us is the cascading part. And that's 99% of my issues have been from the cascading part, not actually with CSS. Do we have an idea for, how would we fix that if we could? Avoid the cascade. That's, yeah, that that's actually good advice. Just like, and this is partly due to the cascading problem, but like just CSS doesn't really scale well at all. I mean, that's why I really like SAS. Like it's made following SMA CSS like spec, like like really helps handle that. That's actually a good segue. And we we're talking about building CSS and architecture for it. What are some best practices you use when you're building the architecture for your CSS and structuring it? Don't use important. Ever. It's an important advice not to use. Yeah. <laughs> important. I have seen, especially legacy code bases, so much important. It's like a go-to line in CSS is, is important. Is just You can skip all the other rules saying, no, screw the cascading part. This is the thing that counts. And it's just, ah, it's so bad. That goes back to why I hate the IDs. So Fair. it takes yeah. over. So I, I'm going to be contradictory to both of you because I'm just feeling like an asshole tonight. <laughs> I just want to argue. Right. Classic. So with, with important, if something is literally important, right, like this absolutely must show up and you want to denote it that this is actually important and it must show up, right, then at that point, you're not only documenting that this line is, is absolutely essential, right, you also have to be following the idea that avoid the cascade, right, because that where important becomes a problem is with the cascade, right? If you're expecting something to cascade and it doesn't cascade, right, then important is a really bad idea. But important as a documentation tool can be important. <laughs> if it's just a documentation thing, you can comment in your CSS. Yeah, you can, but who, who updates their comments, right? Probably is 99.999% of times important. It's never for doing what it the intended should never purpose. be used. Yeah, it's Absolutely. used as an override because someone was too lazy to go up the chain to figure exactly. out what they Exactly. And that's probably why Brian likes it. He's being lazy. <laughs> fair, fair. So one place I've seen it used, and I, I hate, but um, I can, I guess, kind of see the point of it is in going back to the whole like having a library and if you want to enforce something that you do not want your developers to override I, I think I've seen it like for like contrast things to make sure that they don't override or you know as app developers aren't overriding colors because they might think that that's fine but it's you know it's accessibility makes it important to to be to use certain colors so I, I, to me that's a pain I feel like as a developer I should be able, if I have to override it I should be able to override it but I guess that's one maybe you should structure it better so that you don't need it. But I, I guess I kind of like that argument is if it's an accessibility thing and you're trying to avoid ever affecting that and breaking that, I, I could see that. Yeah, that's fair. So I guess my point is like it, it has its place. However, I have ever yet to see someone use its place, right? Like, so, well, it is there for a reason. It is but there. We just haven't found, I don't think there's a valid reason. So, and then I want to, to pick on your never use ID. Yeah, go for it. Yes, please do. If something in your app is absolutely unique, like an ID should be and would be, yeah. then I'm okay styling on it. Cheers to your, to your yeah, styling. Right. But, uh... <laughs> but in that case, would it be better just to add a class that's, that's and style it that way? I'm 100% a believer of that, is why not just add a class? Why Why do you have to add a class? Well, why do you need an ID? 
Why do you need an ID? Yeah, why not just a class? A, a class can be added, removed. It, it can be used other places. Why an ID? But you're enforcing uniqueness, right? True, but I feel like the majority of the times I've used CSS, there's rare that one thing is so unique or it will be unique for a short period. And then I add another piece of code further in the application that needs it. And now I can't reference it because it's an ID. I'm honestly big believer in IDs are just useless in your CSS. What about the, the Netflix player, right? Yeah. You're never going to have more than one player in your screen, right? That's going to have an ID of some sort. I mean it. You could technically have multiple players. You probably don't want to, but you could. Yeah, but you don't want to, right? Fair enough. So you're, but... what? you're enforcing uniqueness. Bam! Mic drop! I'm going to drop this mic. <laughs> I think there's a difference between styling it with an ID and using an ID. Like, yeah. I think yeah. Using, that's my I totally argument. agree. Using an ID for, for something that's unique on the page is semantically makes sense and should should be there. But Why can't you style it? Because I think it's convention. If you, I mean, I use IDs in my personal project because I'm lazy and they work, but... Again, but my entire page is styled using IDs, not classes. But if you're using ID for this one thing and then classes for the rest, you break the entire convention. That's probably my main issue with IDs. You can just include IDs in your convention. You've cho just that chosen not to. That means sometimes for new, brand new developers, sometimes they're going to use classes, sometimes they're going to use IDs, and then you're going to give a long oh, when, when you're learning, go ahead, just like just use classes, right? But well, when you're learning, yeah, do you whatever. You fucking know what you're doing. <laughs> now I'm, I'm watching for Brian's pull request. So when I see an ID that's styled, I'm like, no, no. I know that's never going to pass PR. I don't, I don't do it at Netflix. <laughs> Mars, what are your thoughts? You're actually, Mars is our, on our team, our CSS expert. So yeah. I don't. I wouldn't use the word expert. I would say maybe just the person who cares the most about it. <laughs> Which makes you the expert. <laughs> Which makes me the expert, I guess. I mean, I think I agree with who, who I can't remember whoever said it about specificity. It was probably me. Yeah. <laughs> Old man gem. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think it's so much about a convention as just if you're using classes everywhere, you avoid potential specificity issues down the road, which means you can avoid the like bang important wherever you're going to end up like using it. And I think there are use cases for bang important, but the minute you have bang important because you've got specificity issues all over your application, that's a problem. The important really loses its meaning because you're using it everywhere just to make your app work. And that's kind of my problem with IDs and important and sort of how they go together. Well said. I think just to follow up, you need to drink more because you are able to say specificity very <laughs> clearly. <laughs> she did a good job of it. So styles. <laughs> Cheers. So I think one thing I've always actually really fallen in love with for structuring CSS is the Smacks or whatever you want to call it, like SMA CSS. It's a small book that really talks about how to structure your CSS, like in a large project. What I really like about it is how you split everything up into modules and your your layout. Everything has a order of operation. And I think it actually helps for not having to overwrite things and adding importance. And actually, this is something that we really used with our SaaS implementation at Evernote when I was there. And actually, Augustus and myself and one of our friends, uh, Wei Loon Poon, had wrote a like SaaS uh, scaffolding project. That's called Sassy Sass. Obviously, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it follows Smacks. It has a great logo. It, it does, actually. It's like a cat and sassy cat looking logo. But I really like it. It structures everything into proper directories. I still use it when I'm doing like a side project. I just spin that up and add that to my project. It, it saves me a lot of time and headache and helps me structure my project a lot more. And I find everything is a very small modular. So to the point where we were talking about 
being able to quickly remove something. If you're not using it, you can remove it. I think I've even written scripts where it will look for files that aren't referenced anymore and just totally delete them from the project. So, and I found that really useful is keeping things very small and modular and, and using them. Like I see where a lot of you are coming from on like a lot of these issues. And particularly, we've been kind of dancing around the issue of re- reusability, right? Yeah. CSS, it's been espoused for a long time that if you use a lot of classes, um, you, you get a lot of reusability out of your classes. And I, like I, I have followed the crowd because for the most part, following the crowd in JavaScript has led me to pretty good places. So, But I, I have found this one in particular has led me astray. And I, I go back to my mantra of like optimize for deletability. And optimizing for deletability is synonymous with not being dry, right? Not being do not repeat yourself, meaning you repeat yourself. Jeez, that was like three steps to get there. <laughs> so I, I try and avoid the cascade always, right? So that, um, that meaning that one particular thing is going to have at most two classes, right? It's going to have the class that it needs to style itself. And then it's going to have maybe some sort of like is active modifier, like that's it, right? So I'm not going to have like button, button gray, button big, button large text, button accessibility, right? Like I'm not going to go like seven buttons deep, so right? So your element's not going to have all these di- 10 different classes on it. Right, because if I need to delete button large later because it's literally the only place using button large, then like what the fuck am I doing, right? So I'd rather just have like a hundred different classes, right? And one for each different button on the page, right? And then as soon as... 50 of those go out of scope, then I get to delete 50 classes. No, I'm on the same page with that too. Like if you're like cluttering like with a gazillion classes, like I think there's something wrong. But if you're like putting it on an ID, I, I don't know. I don't Why is that different? I, I, Why I, is that different? Super, I, to be honest, I only use IDs when like I need someone for like an anchor point, right? right. Like you click it and then it can go straight to that part sure, of the page. Sure, that has That's nothing like, to do with this. Exactly. CSS. And so it's like there's nothing related to see it, styling. <laughs> I feel bad bringing this back up. I also Styles. was kind of like... <laughs> Man, we should have made our keyword ID. <laughs> yeah, we would really be drinking. Getting really triggered. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about transpiling our CSS using preprocessors. What are the pros and cons to that? I know it's come up a little bit, but I would love to kind of touch a little more on that. Like, what are some benefits to it, and what are some cons on it? I'm actually going to go back to the usability point because one of the reasons I love SAS and and less as well, I don't know if I'd call them fully formed languages yet, but they're closer to languages than CSS ever will be, is that in terms of reusability, I sort of see where people are coming from with reusing classes. You've got like multiple classes on a button, like one that makes it active, large, whatever. But I'm kind of more in the camp of if you want to reuse styles. (laughs) 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 So if you want to do that, then I like lessons a lot because of mix-ins. I don't love extend. Extend really not so great. But in terms of Sharing that information between your classes, I think I like mix-ins a lot in terms of functions. I think it's more straightforward what's going on in a particular area of your application. You see, you know, whatever component you're using, it's got a class like button continue. I'm like, okay, so what's happening with button continue? You go to button continue and you're like, okay, it's using this mix-in that makes it red and large. Also, later down the line, the reasons I like mix-ins a lot is because if you're going in and editing the styles, uh, styles. <laughs> Cheers. No, I'm just getting tired of it. This is a good rant. <laughs> if you're going in and editing that CSS less or SAS or whatever, you don't need to know the context bet- about all of like where that class is being used. And in a mix-in, it's a little bit easier to sort of figure that out because you're sort of searching in one section of your application in your CSS, your less or your SAS versus checking everything, your HTML, your JavaScript, your CSS, your mixins, 
all sorts of things. Okay, and rant. <laughs> no, I, I will agree with you. Is like I think that's one thing that less SaaS, whatever preprocessor you're using, is it allows you to make things a lot more smaller pieces of code, more modular in the fact that you can add, remove, or change something and multiple files can then reference that mix in and it all referencing you can make that one small change and it will apply to everything and I, I do like that ability and it kind of reminds me a lot more of how we're starting to you know structure javascript more i think though I, I totally agree i think it's really nice and clean but i do think that there's there's some sort of balance that you have to have and this is what i was saying in the beginning with making sure that you know what's actually being output so for instance, if you have a mix in for button and it has all of these like pseudo classes associated with it, right? And you have on every single instance of your button, you're doing like continue button or like, and then you're adding that button mix in, you're now generating a lot of CSS every single time. So, I mean, so maybe there's like a balance because I totally agree. Like, I think it's cleaner. The code looks cleaner. It makes it more modular. It makes it easier to clean up, but, um, and remove CSS, but it does, I think, there's just make sure that you check what is actually going on when you um, transpile it to. Which can make it harder to debug. I think that's one con is that it having that transpiled code can make it harder to debug. I think we even said that about JavaScript is like you're using Babel, whatever it is to transpile your JavaScript. It's the same thing with CSS. Yeah. It makes it harder to debug. I think that's interesting though because you kind of get two trade-offs, right? It's a little bit more straightforward and more developer-friendly when you're using, sorry, you're reusing code and, and with mixits and, and that kind of thing. But it's also, it, like you said, it's really hard to debug and you see the output and as a developer, you're like, where on earth did this even come from? Because it's not there in line in my style huh, sheet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you went into the, the break of style sheet, I think you would have been all right. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. SAS and LESS have like source maps, right? That lets yeah. you. So I think that helps with it, but it, it does create a lot of. But I mean, how often are you going to compare the, this is, the yeah. source? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, you still should check the output, though. I totally agree. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you always have to check your CSS output. It's right. kind of the same thing we were talking about with transpilers. I think it's just not knowing. So maybe, like, if it's an element, like a button that you use everywhere, maybe that's one instance where you have one class that's, you know, a button, and then you have mixins that maybe are like enhanced buttons or something. I don't I don't know if that's a great example, but I think there's just knowing where those trade-offs need to happen. No, I totally agree. You mentioned some downsides, but another issue I have with mixins is just indirection in that I need to see what this mixin is doing. Oh, this mixin is using two other mixins. I need to see what they're doing. And then you can actually go pretty far down the rabbit hole before you figure out, oh, this is what actually is being outputted. See, and I don't I don't like that. I don't like mixins on mixins on mixins. I feel like a mixin should be fairly contained. I think you're right. It gets so much more complicated when you're going down and down and down and you're like dependency, dependency, dependency. I think at that point, I would actually start to question the designer and say, so why does this need to be so complicated? <laughs> you know? like, if you can't write a mix-in that's Make sort of self-encapsulated. Well, exactly. If you can't write a mix-in that's so self-encapsulated, you're like, okay, so what is the use here? Is it just, you know, the sugar on top? But that's a whole other rant, so I'll stop. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Who, in all our teams, who does the CSS? Because some teams it is the designer, some people it's the, the engineer. I've never been in a company where the designer actually does the CSS. I've worked at designers, they'll pull up Chrome Dev Tools and they'll start changing things and say, hey, I want this. And they'll, you know, change some values and everything. But I've never actually worked with a designer who actually writes the CSS that's in production. I've had someone tell me that like the Dreamweaver CSS, at least this is somewhere for me to like, I can start with this. I would actually be on the opposite side of that is like, I would, I feel like I'm hacking or I'm taking some hacked together version that Dreamweaver exported. And then I have to now fuck around with to try and figure it out. <laughs> 
I don't know. I feel like it'd be more of a headache. I think, I think Brian, you make a good point about the one, one thing that's, that would be very helpful with the Dreamweaver output is getting the colors and the font size and stuff like that. Cause so many times I'll get specs from designers and like they spend all this time creating these specs, but they're not any of what I need. Like they'll do like spacing between bottom of like the G or whatever, you know, and like you, but what I actually need is, is, you know, the, the, the line height number and the, you know, that kind of stuff. So just, outputting that Dreamweaver output or whatever, you know, whatever they're using is probably would be helpful for getting those values. But I think if you can get your designers on a page where you've decided what the across the board, what the line height is, uh, even if it differs between different pages and everything, but if you can get consistency around that, you can kind of write a baseline and, and then you're just in those components or whatever you're writing, you don't have to change it. You just inherit what's actually already set. I totally agree, but we've tried this as long as I've been at LinkedIn for two and a half years, we've tried this. And what happens is somebody creates this standard and then designers create the product and they're like, no, but this situation's different. You know, this, this line height needs to be different because it's just, you know, and then they make up 10 reasons why. This beautifully demonstrates the ultimate point of like all my ranting here. <laughs> it's like CSS is paved with good intentions, right? Like we have all these good intentions of being reusable, of like using the same line heights, of using the same 11 of fucking grays, right? Like the 16. <laughs> shit. <laughs> 16 fucking grays, right? Like we all have, we have these great intentions of like these best practices that we aspire to and yet we never ever meet them. Does anyone here feel like they've been in like a perfect CSS code base before or even like a really, really, really good one? <laughs> Never. I just say that also in some of those code bases, there's multiple developers. And as you can tell from tonight, we're all really opinionated about how we write our CSS. So all of the CSS that goes into it, especially, you know, outside of a personal project ends up being really opinionated and doing things in four or five different ways. Absolutely. And like this is this comes back to my point of why I'm totally right here and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> Is like optimized for throwaway, right? So like everyone can do their shit their own way because we acknowledge the fact that like this shit's just not going to work. Like we 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 do not have an answer for this. So at least we were able to throw away the shit that doesn't work anymore. I think as long as you plan to be able to throw away easily, I think that's actually a good practice. So you don't end up with 3.5 megabytes like Microsoft over here. That, that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, especially if you do like a lot of A-B tests, which I know like Netflix does tons of, like I definitely see the value in like optimizing for deletability. Uh, and like even Reddit, we didn't delete, like we had huge style sheets and we weren't running A-B tests, right? So like this is a problem. I think anywhere that you go that doesn't optimize for deletability. You know, we never, we never settled the great debate, less or sass. I will write either or, and I think I want to hear everyone's answer on this. I lean towards, if I have a preference for any projects I'm starting, I choose sass. And I don't Why? have a really good reason for it. I, I just like it a little bit more. Do you like Dart? No. <laughs> um, and I have written some Dart. Because they're not going to maintain libsass, they're not going to maintain rubysass, they're moving to exclusively... No, they're going to maintain ruby, but they're not going to maintain libsass anymore. See, that changes my opinion there. They're, they're going to just dart now. Yeah, so that changes a little bit. Still, right now, as it is, libsass still works, so I'm okay with it. But Netflix, we use less, and I have no problem with that. And the reason we chose that was because it was faster at the time because LibSass wasn't around. It was RubySass and RubySass was really, really slow. Shit, it man. was painfully slow. Do you know that XKCD comic where they're like jousting because their code's compiling? No. Oh, I love that one. They're like it's a, it's a famous one. You should look at the, the notes if you haven't seen it because it's fantastic. That literally happened. Like literally people on chairs jousting because we were waiting for Ruby Sass to fucking compile.
It would take minutes. Like it was painful. Like depending, I guess, depending on how big your project was. It was big because yeah. we didn't optimize for deletability. Yeah, there you go. I lean towards less only because I've only ever used less. My last three companies, I've never written a line of SAS in my life. So SAS could be awesome. Wouldn't know about it. I'm the same way, but the other way. I've never written less. They're so similar. So I went from using Ruby, or sorry, fucking Ruby, SAS to using less, and it, I almost had to learn nothing. In fact, I don't think I know anything about less that wasn't... I'm going to create my own CSS preprocessor. It's not going to allow IDs, and it's going to be just Nixon. And I'm going to call it Brian Holt. And I will, I will use that. I'll use it, too. Please do. But personally, I've, I've done both because Evernote, our web client team uses less, and then our marketing website team uses SAS. And then actually, like, some other teams start post-CSS, only post-CSS. Um, so I honestly, I don't have a huge preference. I think... Both of them are better than CSS. So, like, it I personally it doesn't matter. There's also, like, this one called Stylus, which yeah. looked really cool, um, but I don't... I looked at it in practice years ago, but I've never actually used it in a big project. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Have, you, have you used Jade? Hey, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't like Jade. If you've written Jade, it's like the CS version of Jade because it's it's also from TJ Hollowaychuk, right? It's He wrote Express, he wrote Koa, he wrote Jade, he wrote Stylus, he wrote everything that you use in Node and Go. Oh yeah, I'm on the same camp of, I, I would use either. At first it was, which one's faster? And then when LibSAS came out, you know, obviously SAS was a little bit, we kind of leaned towards SAS, my old company, but at Netflix we use less and I, I haven't noticed any difference between the two, um, except for like at signs versus dollar signs. So that was the most that's, confusing. That's the part. difference, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you're me, jumping but... between the two, it might be painful, but it, once you get on board on one, you're good. I think they've both kind of come up to an area now where they're sort of feature parity with each other. So it's not as confusing. So I like post-CSS because I can include the bare minimum of things that I do want. I want variables, right? I want maybe one level of nesting. I can see the advantage of like one level of nesting. I want CSS next, so I can include like future coming specs. I can include auto prefixer, and that is it. That is everything auto that I want. Auto prefixer is awesome too. Yeah, you need some tool like auto prefixer, right? And actually, you just really need auto prefixer. I don't know if there's another tool that does it as well as auto prefixer. Like beyond that, like I have no sympathy for any other feature. But I'm excited for the day that like real CSS variables land, right? Like that is the feature that I'm totally agree. far and above. I'm mo like even beyond Flexbox because Flexbox is the shit, right? Mm -hmm. But CSS variables where I can say like 90% minus 10 pixels. That's huge. That's going to be a beautiful day. You can right? do math in your CSS. I love math. It's great. great. Calc. <laughs> calc, yeah, no, calc. Calc and CSS variables, right? Those two together is just something magical. So as we wrap up today's episode, we like to share pics of things that we like or have found interesting on the internet. But let's go around the table and share today's pics. Mars, let's start with you. Okay, I have a serious and a funny one. I'm gonna start with cssreference.io. If you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's a visual guide to CSS basically, which helps a lot when you're trying to figure out you know, how you can use something as opposed to MDN. And if you're using W3Schools, I recommend you use MDN for browser compatibility. And it just, it tells you what it's doing, but it doesn't show you. So this, this shows, not tells. And then the second one, if you're ever in the Bay Area, or especially if you're in the Bay Area around Christmas, is the Great Dickens Fair. It's Dickensian London, and it's really fun. And I That's recommend awesome. if you go, you dress up, because it's a much better experience. And also, you need to buy a wooden mug, because mulled wine just doesn't taste good out of anything but a wooden mug. Brian, what do you have? I, I have a handful of CSS followers for, C for CSS-type topics. I'm, one is CSS Wizardry. 
MR, MRS, Mr. Mrs., Murmurs, depending on how you pronounce it. Adam Morris, fantastic guy. Una Kravitz, she's amazing. She's at Una. Uh, Sarah Drasner, I don't remember what hers is. Sarah Edo. underscore E-D-O. Yeah, she's amazing. Rachel Nabors, who just joined the uh, Edge team at Microsoft. And Jackson Black, J-X-N-B-L-A-C-K. He was the CSS guy at Etsy, and now he's, I think he's just doing his own thing. But those are all people you definitely should follow. And then my last, uh, second pick, I have one more pick after that, (laughs) is the city of Minneapolis. I just got back from Minneapolis. It's a phenomenal city. And if you like to drink, it's even more phenomenal. I had a great time. I always recommend going to uh, Minneapolis when it's not the winter because it's fucking freezing out there. And then my third pick is, uh, I'm going to try and say some Scottish words here, so bear with me. Lafroig Caderis Scotch. The 2016 release, it's phenomenal. Definitely try it. Jim, what do you have? Uh, my first pick is Sketch App. Anybody who hasn't used Sketch, it's pretty straightforward to mock up things. It's great when designers use it because they can create entire mocks and then I can take that mock and then export the CSS that they use and I just dump that straight into my app if you configure things right. So it's really, really powerful. Is that clean. smart to export the CSS? Is it no, good? No, it is not. It's not perfect and there are some edge cases, but it's pretty good for basic things. Like I can get the font and line height and things like that. Pull, I can pull that out. My second pick is the complete intro to React from Brian Holt on Frontend Masters. It is the most popular Frontend Masters course, and it's really It's a really good, good one. It definitely Nobody is. has anything bad to say about it, so I recommend that. If you're on Frontend Masters, check that out. I did a V2 yesterday, so if you subscribe to Frontend Masters, you can see V2 today. Nice. So thanks, Jim. Augustus, what do you have? My first pick is codein um, with Google. Um, so if you go to codein.withgoogle.com, um, it's basically this contest targeting pre-university students. And what Google has done is they've teamed up with 17 open source organizations, and all these open source like projects have created tasks for students. So and I think that's like really awesome. Like it gets like I, I seriously believe that all like people who are like um, who want to be software engineers should just like dive into open source. Like that's like honestly the best way to learn. You learn so many like small things from that's that. Cool. So yeah, I would definitely check that out. Uh, my second pick, since we're talking about CSS, there's this site called cssstats.com. Although looking at it, I think it's down now, but <laughs> it, it does have an open source repo that you can use. And basically it dives into your website that you've hosted and it goes through all your style, style sheets and gives you like a breakdown of what selectors you're using, like how many colors you're using. It's like pretty awesome. So I just wanted to mention that two of the guys that I mentioned to follow, Adam Morris and Jackson Black, are the two oh. guys that wrote it. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Derek, what do you have? Mine are kind of boring, but whatever. First pick is CodePen, and I hopefully, or I'm sure a lot of people already use it, but I think it's a great tool for um, just trying stuff out. There's a lot of them out there, but I think CodePen kind of focuses more on the CSS, and, and uh, you can like share your, and you can also get ideas for things, which is a cool, uh, you just search for CodePen's stuff. awesome. CodePen is very nice. I love yeah. CodePen. I, use I pay for, for Pro, and yeah. I've, I have not regretted for paying for Pro ever. Me too. 
And then my second pick is um, is a social network for neighborhoods. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, Nextdoor. Is, is it Nextdoor? Because yeah. my Nextdoor is the worst. I, so I really wish that more people would use it, except for Brian. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of people like Brian that you don't want to use Nextdoor. Uh, but I, um, I, I've used it for a while, and I started using it a little bit more frequently recently. And uh, it's just a really good way, I think, to connect with neighbors, which is something I think we should do more of, um, you know, especially like living in uh, in a city. It's there's some really sketchy areas in my neighborhood. So I posted about uh, one of those said sketchy areas and I got like all these, these comments on like all the things that have already been done by the city and, and plans in place and stuff like that. So um, the only problem is no one uses it other than like random politicians, local politicians. My picks, I have a GitHub repo that is called Art of a Readme, and I feel like it's a really good one to really give some helpful tips on writing quality readmes for your project. I need, I need that. Yeah, like I, I feel like I do too. Like It's always that last minute thing that you're like, yeah, I'll just throw something together. But a readme is really important. That's like the first thing people start to look at when they're looking at your project. And so I thought it was really good. There's a lot of really good tips in there. I think it's really worth checking out. And then I figured, well, I'll choose a music pick since no one else has. The recently the Hamilton mixtape album was released on Spotify. And I found a song I actually really did like from it from NOS and it's called Wrote My Way Out. It's good. All right. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to rate us on iTunes and Google Play and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Tell us about your favorite things about CSS or things you don't like. And please don't use IDs.